We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Danemore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you Tuesday night after the Wolves knock off the Charlotte Hornets in overtime. Final score, Wolves 126, Hornets 120. Lots to talk about in this one, but kind of skipping what you might have guessed the main storyline would be in a Wolves-Hornets matchup, the Anthony Edwards and the Mellow Ball matchup. Uh, That did look juicy to start. Ant was matched up guarding the mellow in the first half, but with like 10 seconds left in the second quarter, Edwards rolled his ankle and did not return to the game. So instead, the story tonight kind of became about surviving Ant's absence and not just surviving it, but but coming back when you don't have Edwards. The Wolves were down by six at halftime when, when Edwards hurt the ankle. And they did come back, and they came back with Carl Anthony Towns. He was the story of this game. Cat had 23 points and nine rebounds in the second half alone. He just took over. Uh, he, he took over in the exact way, at the exact time that you would want Carl Anthony Towns to take over the game. There was there was no Edwards. It was a poor shooting night from D'Lo, so it, it had to come from Cat, and it did. Uh, he was scoring on all three levels dominantly, and honestly, being a little bit of a ball hog because that's what the game asked for. Cat was letting it rip from deep, and that had not been happening of late. Been getting, <laughs> been becoming sort of a frustration. I mean, Cat's offense the past few weeks was generated from driving the ball and from passing the ball. You know, over the past four games, Cat had only taken eleven total threes. He took eleven threes tonight alone. And that's just really where Cat can break it open. You know, the drives are great. He's he's made that an even more, you know, powerful part of his offensive game this season. The post-ups, they're efficient. And the passing, you know, when he's not flustered, not turning it over, you know, the passing gets his teammates going. But just pulling from three is the easiest way for him to call his own number. Just fire. You know, fire from beyond the line. Fire from deep beyond the line. Fire off the dribble. You know, that's the only way... Cat busts open his usage. That's the only way he takes 25-plus shots in a game. He took a season high of 26 shots tonight. You know, if Cat is going to take over a game, he has to do it by playing chess. I understand that through the first three quarters of the game. You know, feel out the defense, find the post-ups, 
find the cutters, get the drive to the basket going. But when the fourth quarter comes and they are loaded up on him, he has got to fire. And, and that's what he did tonight. 39 points at the end and three huge threes in the fourth quarter and overtime. Here's Cat on deciding to ratchet up that shooting volume tonight. Well, I can think of previous games where you're like, uh, one for, started off one for five from three, shot wasn't going. I had to stop yeah. shooting. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, and so you went completely the opposite direction of that where you, you started Trust shooting. my mind was there. Yeah. My mind was there. I'm not going to lie to you. So, um, Three-point volume has just been down in general. Like, yeah. I, just, then I just had to go out there and, and, and find a way. I just, you know, I, I wouldn't be lying to you if that old mentality wasn't showing up where it was like, you know, the shot's not falling. Maybe we start getting to the basket a little more, uh, you know, just kind of cancel it out for the day. Um, but I had a long talk with myself in the game and, um, just told myself you cannot stop shooting. You cannot stop shooting. They're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna get opportunities to make it, even if it keeps going in and out. Everything just find ways to keep finding that shot and keep shooting. So, um, I think that's a great observation by you because that's something that is something I usually I think I do, and I think that shows. And um, I just, I just didn't want to have that kind of mindset. You know, I, you know, I've said it before. You know, you talk about being that you got to act like it. So just because it wasn't falling in that moment, doesn't mean it wasn't going to fall with two minutes left, one minute left, three minutes left. So, um, and like, again, I think it all comes back to the same spot that my teammates trusted me, you know, they trusted me. We could have won a, di- a lot of different ways to find a different way to win it without me involved because of the game I was playing, but they trusted me. And uh, these guys make it, these guys make it fun. These guys make it fun. And they push me to another level. Carl talked extensively in his post-game press conference um, just about his teammates and the culture, which is which is a theme. I guess that's not um, you know, not exactly unique for his post-game press conferences, but I just think that he's starting to feel pretty proud of the idea that this is a group that does have a good culture and that Carl himself is a big part of building that culture. There were, in the presser, there were definitely subtweets shot at Butler and Tibbs in there and you know, I can't play the whole thing here because it was very long I'd check it out on YouTube if you have time it was like 17 minutes but that's what stood out to me from it you know Carl's enjoyment of the group and his role in the group as both a player and a leader I'll play I'll play this one other bit because I think it surmises the the sentiment right it, it wraps up the true point that this is not Cat's most statistically prolific season, but it is his best, which I do think was his main goal going into this year, contributing to winning, not just contributing winning stats. Here's a little bit more cat. How much is your confidence this year stemming from the fact that you're on a winning team? Winning winning basketball changes everything. It really does, you know, and uh, I just... You know, it's funny. A lot of guys were talking about me getting 40. <laughs> and um, I was just so locked in, Britt, to winning the game. I didn't give a rat's ass about no 40. I was just thinking, you know, 2-2-1 press, 
if I catch the ball in the middle, wherever side I catch the ball from, the opposite side will be open. So all in my mind, I wasn't thinking about holding the ball, getting fouled, going to the free throw line for the points. I was thinking about getting the ball off my hands, wasting as much clock as possible, getting home. Because especially the way it was going and the game was going, it, the game was just not ending. It, it, it kept being a foul and a free throw contest, and then they were missing, and we were missing. So, and they would make one, we would miss both. You know, it, the lead was dwindling down a little bit. So, of course, I would want to take it. But when you're in a 2 2 1 break and I'm looking at the opposing uh, basket and the baskets behind me, the one thing I don't want to do, especially with how the game was going, was catch the ball turn around looking to be aggressive to get 40 and being selfish, not winning basketball, get that shit stripped. And now they go down, hit a transition three, hit a two. Now it's a three-point game. They don't got a foul. It's 50 seconds left. It comes about 34 seconds. Now we're looking at, do we want two for one with one timeout? It's a lot of things that could go wrong. And there's a lot of planning that can't get done with no, no timeouts, really. So I was not thinking about 40. I was thinking about getting the win. Let's let's make the pass. And I think we wasted that pass to Jaden. It wasted another 10 seconds, which was very, very valuable. That's all I cared about. Jaden went to the free throw line. He made both. So I think that that that's why the mentality of everyone's so different. Like, especially for, you know, I think for me, it's just just it's all about winning. Like, I don't give a damn. Like last game I had 15 and played, got fouled a bunch, and I was probably the most ecstatic person in the whole locker room going crazy. Blast the music up, let's go. Like it's awesome. You know, it's it's not about the stats. I think I've proved to everyone in the NBA I could get stats, but can I win with stats? That's the thing that's different. And I think that's what is drive. It's just my always been my biggest drive to win. And now I'm putting it both together where it's just like. Carl gets great stats, but they lose. Like that's always been the mo. I, that's no more. I want to win. You know, I've always wanted to win, but now I got to find ways. How can I put those stats to translate to winning? I think I'm doing a much better job in my career this year than ever, and uh, I'm just I'm still growing. I'm still getting better. I'm still figuring more things out. You know, my contemporaries had their their teammates for five, six years. You know, they've grown with those guys. You know, I haven't had a chance to grow with anybody. If you want to go back, we can talk about Wigan and Zach. <laughs> so now I'm given a team that would feel very – that continuity and that kind of chemistry is coming together, that that togetherness is there, that communication is there. I mean, it, it, it leads to winning basketball. Give some people some time. You'll see some magic happen. It was 42 minutes of winning basketball tonight from Cat. Again, he finished with 39 points, 15 rebounds. The other individual player I really want to hit on tonight that contributed to that winning basketball, and Kat just mentioned him there, is is Jaden McDaniels. Um, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 steals, and 2 blocks from McDaniels tonight. Uh, when Edwards was not able to play in the second half, McDaniel was in, McDaniels was inserted with the starters, and you just saw a conscious effort from McDaniels to take on a bigger piece of the offensive pie in that time. 11 of his 14 shots came in the second half. And what I thought was most encouraging for McDaniels is that the offensive burst wasn't sparked or fueled by his three-point shooting. He was just one of six from deep. But that that's not what fuels him. Like, yes, often McDaniels' role on this team is to be a spot-up guy, but that's not because that's what he's best at. I think we're at the point of clearly being able to know that McDaniels' most dynamic portion of his offensive game comes within the three-point line. It's where you could eventually see him become special. 
that's where his athleticism and length separates him. You know, attacking the basket, he can just shoot over people. When he's shooting threes, all he can do is just shoot them and hope they go in. There's just no force of will he can exert there. There is an element of control. I think he grabs control of the result. You know that that he he grabs by by attacking. You kind of forfeit that when the majority of your offensive usage is just catch and shoot threes. It feels when he's out there with all three of Cat, Ant, and D'Lo that he kind of has to be resigned to that in the corner catch and shoot role. But what I like so much about McDaniel's coming off the bench now is that he's often out there when only one or two of the big three are out, also out there. And that kind of lets McDaniel spread his wings. It lets him lean into the things he's better at. Of the big three, it's pretty clear that McDaniels has his best chemistry with D'Lo. In that, you know, McDaniels expands his bandwidth, expands it most next to D'Lo. Those two are hitting on that fake screen backdoor lob pass thing at least once a game. And that just sort of, it just sort of activates McDaniels out of that typical, quite frankly, or I would imagine, kind of boring catch and shoot mode. Here's D'Lo on McDaniels' growth over the past two seasons. Yeah, so I remember uh, beginning of last season, you were talking about really seeing something in, in Jade McDaniels and, and, and what he, he could become. Very clearly, the chemistry between the two of you has, has grown. I'm curious what, in your head, that vision was and how that's kind of lined up with what reality has been. Yeah, I mean, being a young player in the league, you kind of go through bumps and bruises and pickups that you just go through as a young player in the league. But I think it's to the vets and to the older players to kind of speed up that process for the younger guys. I seen he had game when he first came in. I seen him in college. Um, he should have been a higher draft pick, but he wasn't. So he, the potential was there. So I, I just prioritized giving him confidence, feeding confidence, feeding confidence. And now you're seeing that. And um, the sky's the limit for him. He's, he's a quiet guy, but he's a guy that looks up and he, he might have dominated that game. But we're talking about the ants and the cats and ourselves, but he's a, a valued piece for us. I do think McDaniels is really beginning to make sense within the fabric of a team that has Cat, Ant, and D'Lo on it. And that has not always been the case. You know, the beginning of the year was a struggle for McDaniels, particularly when he was starting. It's becoming pretty clear to me that McDaniels is the sixth man of the future for this team. And that isn't to say he can't eventually become more than that, but that's also not to diminish that role. That role is important on this team. You know, Beasley's currently in that role. His but his shooting volatility and lack of defensive impact just makes it, it kind of makes that role unreliable on a night-to-night basis. There's, there's just a greater variety of things that McDaniels can provide that seem to provide more of a floor of production out of that role. And the fact that McDaniels feels as if he can fit in next to any two of the Wolves' big three, I feel like that makes that impact feel even more important. It's it's the best representation of his versatility in a way. You know, we understandably get caught up in the growth of Anthony Edwards, but it's important to note that Jaden McDaniels is growing too. He's just he's just doing it in his own way and in a in a role that's kind of harder to spread his wings in. But he's slowly but surely figuring that out nonetheless. On McDaniels tonight, Finch said, quote, He's just growing and growing every day, man. 
Super, super excited about the work he's done for us. Finch loves McDaniels. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break here. want to come back and talk about the environment at Target Center tonight, specifically as a response to the call out from D'Angelo Russell. And then also um, the Patrick Beverly extension happened on Monday. So I got a few notes to hit on there too. Back in a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we are back discussing the Wolves' six-point overtime victory over the Hornets on Tuesday night. In this game, Patrick Beverly had 15 points, seven boards, four assists, three steals, and two blocks. Beverly had the best plus-minus on the team outside of Russell, and he played a season high of 36 minutes. Uh, Beverly did sign that one-year extension for $13 million on Monday night. Goes that, that will be his contract for next season, one year at $13 million. And it's a deal to me that makes sense in how long it is and in how much it is for. And I'll get to why here in a second, but I guess doing the other side of the argument first, if, if there is an argument to be made against the extension, it's it, right. It's obviously Beverly's age and durability. You know, like I just said, 36 minutes tonight was his season high in minutes played. He's averaging just 26 minutes a night this season. And even on that lower minute threshold, Beverly has had to miss 19 of the Wolves' 59 games this season. You know, one of those was serving a suspension the first game of the year, and and three were with COVID, so we won't hold we won't hold those four against him from a durability standpoint. You know, the, the concern though is still there. If you're able, if you were to have one concern about the extension for next season, it's just the idea that best case you're probably 
going to only get around 60 games from Beverly. That's just kind of the pattern now. But I think it's fair to say that Beverly missing 25% of the games doesn't signal that he's only 75% of the production. You know, obviously, a lot of Beverly's value is cultural, not just being a rah-rah guy on the bench, but in getting everyone to care about defense every day. We've we've seen that. I, I think that impact is real and undeniable. And also, like, yeah, he's missed 19 games, but he's played in 40. He's still on the floor a lot, and the impact statistically is there and also has been pretty undeniable. The Wolves' starting lineup became lethal once Beverly was inserted into it. And just overall, the Wolves for this season are outscoring opponents by four and a half points per 100 possessions when Beverly's on the floor. That's a strong impact. And Beverly's not having the shooting season he had been having in prior years. He's only hit 34% of his threes this year after being between 38 and 40% from three in each of the previous six years. But it's important to note, again, that that hasn't hurt the Wolves' offense when he's out there. They've actually been substantially better offensively with Beverly on compared to when he's off the floor this year. And yes, you know, some of that is he's a starter, so he's he's playing more of his minutes with the best players. But still, it's just... There's no argument really to be made that Beverly is hurting the offense in any sort of way. And also, like, what's to say that next year Beverly can't bounce back to that 40% three-point shooting? I don't think that's outside of the question. Overall, effective plus-minus views Beverly as an 83rd percentile offensive player this season, an 86th percentile defensive player. He grades out as 88th percentile and overall effective plus-minus. I mean, on paper, that alone right there is worth $13 million, even without the cultural impact, even factoring in games missed. But what I like most about the Beverly extension is that I see very little opportunity cost here. Like, yes, the Wolves could have used that $13 million in cap space this summer. The, the Wolves would have had about $13 million in space below the cap this summer had they let Beverly walk. But I think the more relevant number to look at in terms of financial flexibility with this team is the room the Wolves have below below the luxury tax and their path specifically to using that tax space. Had they not signed Beverly and operated as a below the cap team, sure they would have had, you know, 35 million in space below the luxury tax, but you're operating under the cap and it, that just makes it a lot harder to use all of that space. You would have had to make numerous trades to add a lot of money. And now operating over the cap, they're about 22 million below the tax for next season with two two open roster spots and they can more easily get to that number by adding salary via trades and by using the mid-level exception and biannual exception. This now basically makes it so you can use the MLE for like 10 and a half, the BAE for like four and a half and add you know, it through trades, maybe you upgrade off of Beasley. You can add another eight million or so in trades too, and you still won't go into the tax. Yeah, don't sign Beverly. Sure, you can now spend thirteen million on a free agent rather than being limited to what they are now with just like the ten and a half for the MLE. But it would be a lot more difficult in that under the cap path to get all the way to the brim of the luxury tax, which I think that's really an important factor. And another factor, too, and I'm sure this wasn't in the negotiation process, but by signing Beverly now, 
they can theoretically trade him on draft night. I'm not saying they will, but it's it's an option they have, and it's an option they wouldn't have had if they would have just let him walk or if they would have outright signed him in free agency because the draft comes before free agency, and that's a you know that's a big transaction window. And these are some of the reasons the Wolves play, paid a little premium on that $13 million. You know, had Beverly waited to go to free agency, he probably only gets the mid-level, about, again, that $10.5 million annually. Maybe he gets two years, $21 million from somebody. And Beverly's goal in this extension process, I've heard, was to lock in a number more than that mid-level number he felt confident he could get on the market. Like, yes, he wanted multiple years at the MLE, maybe like two years, 24 million, but he did take one year and 13 million as a compromise. A little premium by the Wolves, but again, at little opportunity cost, and the way I see it. You know, I, I just didn't like the idea of any multi year deal for Beverly, regardless of the price. You know, Cat has two years left on his deal, and ever, yeah, two years left after this season, and Dilo only has one left after this season. You know, signing Beverly to a two or three year deal that kept him on the books longer than one or both of Cat and D'Lo, you know, that w- that would not have made sense. But now Beverly's contract expires when Russell's contract expires. And after that season, after the 2022-23 season with Beverly and Russell expiring, the Wolves are looking at over 50 million in cap space if they opt to turn down Malik Beasley's player option for that summer. That's a lot of space. So at that point, you know, you, you would only have Cat on the books for $36 million and Ant would actually be the second highest play, paid player on the team at $13 million in the final year of his rookie deal. And when we start talking multiple windows out into the future, I mean, Cat and Ant are the only things really stapled down to that. They are the foundation of this team. And now in the 2023 summer, the Wolves can decide how they want to build out that foundation in this next window. I mean, yes, you that's not saying Delo's for sure gone. You can use a chunk of that $50 million on Delo if you want. You could even use a smaller chunk of that $50 million on another Beverly extension too. But you don't have to do either. I like this extension because the Wolves only committed to Beverly for this current window, a window that closes at the end of the 2022-23 season given just how Delo's contract is set up. And I think it's very wise to not yet have anything spilling over into that second window at a substantial cost outside of Cat and Ant. This buys some time to figure out this window and not at a ridiculous price. I, I, I just think the extension was, was more than fine. And an increasingly big part of this current Wolves window is D'Angelo Russell. You know, he's... He's, he's very much become one of the most prolific faces of this team, and that was that was definitely highlighted tonight at Target Center. Uh, tonight's game was the fan base's response to Delo's call out of the quiet ass fans at Target Center, and you know, and Wolves fans, not at all. They, they they didn't react to that critique harshly, and conversely, they they came out with support of Delo's call out. You know, tonight's game was clearly the most engaged the fans at Target Center have been for a full game all season. I, and I really do think that made an impact tonight. If you were at Target Center, I think you felt it. It was your typical, like, 
fueling energy for the home team vibe, but it was also it was pretty crazy in there for a few of the free throws at the end of the game. And Charlotte missed five free throws in the fourth quarter and overtime. With the fans responding to the call out from D'Lo, you know, D'Lo responded to the fans post game with gratitude. He brought the game ball to his post game press conference and said it was for them. Here's D'Lo after the game. What do you think of the environment in there? The fans. Oh, that was electric. That was electric. I appreciate y'all. I actually brought y'all a game ball. So anybody that's at home, this is not for me. This is for all the fans that came, all the fans in the living room, all the fans on Twitter, everything. We appreciate y'all. We need that every game. See what happened when y'all were here. We, we got the win. So appreciate y'all. That was nice. Did you get the feeling that they heard you? Like they, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's yeah. what they responded that way? Yeah. I mean, I called, they answered. So appreciate it. It was a fun environment, for real. I mean, obviously, those have been rare over the past few years at Target Center, but it really did feel like tonight was the night that the fan base kind of came out and said, okay, like, you've been winning. We've got you. And I know you know, I know, there's diehards out there who have been following this team through the thick of it for years now, and you're probably the ones listening to this right now, but there is another layer to the fan base that shows out for good basketball because they like the game of basketball. And you know, there's a group of fans that if you build something for them, they'll they will come, right? And tonight felt like the first time to me that that group was really tapped into. I'm excited to see where that goes throughout the rest of this season and and into the playoffs. All right, we've got a back to back here, so we'll move on. Um, Toronto tomorrow, so we'll we'll do my we'll wrap this episode with my prize picks. I made five picks tonight, went three and two. One of the picks I felt pretty confident about was the over on seventeen and a half. Combined points, rebounds, and assists for Jared Vanderbilt. And Vando did get back on track with 10 points and 14 rebounds tonight. We also hit the over correctly on eight rebounds for Mason Plumley. I think just when you know a center is going to be out there for the majority of the game against the Wolves, they're a pretty safe bet to be above their average in rebounding in a game. And Plumley finished with a season high for him of 17 rebounds tonight. He almost had a triple-double, 14 points, 17 boards, and nine assists for Plumlee. Now, the third pick I got correct was the over on one-and-a-half made threes for Cat. Like we said, the three-point volume had not been there of late from Cat, but I think he's just smart enough to know that they needed him to be taking. They have needed him to be taking over five threes a game, and if he's taking five or more threes, you know, making two of them, given his percentage, is just very likely. Cat finished tonight with four made threes on the night, the most made threes he's had in a game since January 9th. I did, however, pick Cat to go under 41 and a half combined points plus rebounds plus assists. And that was wrong. He absolutely destroyed that number 39 points, 15 boards, and three assists for Cat. The one other I missed, too, was, uh, was taking the over on 22 and a half points, rebounds, and assists for Montrez Harrell. Uh, Harrell had been very productive since getting to Charlotte, and he, if you remember, he killed the Wolves when they played against him in Washington, but they did a good job of slowing Harrell tonight. He did not have a big one, only 12 points, seven boards, and two assists for Harrell in this one. As always, um, if you've been holding off on joining prize picks, they're there waiting for you. Props like this for every game, and they will give you a $100 sign-up bonus if you create a new account using the promo code DANE when you deposit a free 100 if you're going to play at prizepicks.com or on the PrizePicks app. 
All right, the Wolves are now 31-27 and 27 on the season. Unfortunately, Dallas did win as well tonight in Miami. So the Wolves remain three games behind the Mavs for the five seed and still one and a half games behind the Nuggets for the six seed. Uh, Wednesday night is another chance to cut into those deficits. The Wolves, it will be the Wolves' last game before the All-Star break against the Raptors as they come to town. Um, no word yet on whether or not Anthony Edwards will be able to play in that game. The only indication we got um, was that Edwards sprained his ankle and would not be able to return in the second half. I think you got to think it's unlikely that he would be able to play one day later back to back. But at the same time, if we've learned anything about Ant, it's that uh, he will play if he can. Either way, Wolves Raptors will be our last game before the break on Wednesday night. And I will be back to talk to you after that one. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out.